Welcome to the Milestones Motivation and Money Podcast, hosted by Angel Radcliffe. Tune in as we discuss finances, success stories, and inspiring vibes that will help nurture growth. Welcome back to the podcast. On today's episode, we have an amazing guest for you all. got to make sure you get out your pen and paper and get ready to take some notes because today we're going to be discussing government contracting. So I'll be joined by Shauna Scott today, who is a business strategist. She's also an assistant professor. Shauna's been in this game for 15 plus years with experience in grant writing and government contracting. She's assisted hundreds of clients through various phases of business development, and that includes initial launch, the RFP process, grant writing, applying for certifications, and of course, winning procurement opportunities. So we're going to discuss contracting from the federal level as well as your local city and state level. So if this is you, if you have a small business and you're ready to take your business to the next level, let's get ready and get into this interview. And we're going to go ahead and welcome Shauna to the podcast. Thank you so much, Angel. It is a pleasure to be here. I've listened to a few of your episodes and I think you offer a great service to small businesses. I am very excited to have a conversation with you today. I'm so excited to have you here because our backgrounds are so similar and our business offerings. So this will be great insight for the listeners today. Yes, I totally agree. So how about you? Tell us a little bit more about yourself. So my business is called Consult with Shauna. I am based in Georgia, but I offer my services nationwide in that I work with existing businesses to help them scale think of other creative ways to get capital for their businesses. So from a grant writing or government procurement process, I know you already talked to your audience about launching and starting their businesses. So I won't really speak about that, but I do hope individuals who are ready to start a business get up and running and then get to that money, get capital, scale, get the government contracts or grants from foundations, nonprofits, et cetera. Okay. And here's the thing, because so many people nowadays want to have a business and everyone has a great business idea for you. How did you get into entrepreneurship? So when I was working for a government, I was working for a state government and I had been doing a lot of coaching with people that I worked with and whether they were trying to start their side hustles and they wanted to get state contracts. I'm like, that's a conflict of interest. I also do have a law degree. I don't actively practice. A lot of the counseling that I was doing with people I worked with who wanted to start businesses was to help them to understand the difference between getting contracts with the government the state government versus the federal government. While I was working for state government, I helped probably 10 um, businesses to launch and get contracts with the federal government. It was during that time that I was like, shoot, I can make this a business. I can really help people understand that there are ways that you can do business with the government without having a conflict of interest and really figuring out how to scale, launch, and get services that you can, or offer your services to the government. And I can offer my services to people who don't realize that these things are out there. People always say, I want to do business with the government, but they really don't know how. 
even though Google is your friend, they really don't know how. That is such a great point because I can count, I swear, if I had a dollar for every time I met someone who tells me that they have a business and when you get down to the details, you find out they don't have a business Mm -hmm. bank account. (laughs) They don't have an EIN number. They're Mm -hmm. not keeping track of like their, their expenses, the revenues. It's a hot mess. It's a mess in these business streets. And especially since 2020, 2021, where like so many new businesses have launched. When you look at the the data, probably hundreds of thousands of new businesses have launched and people are running around saying that they have a business or they have a nonprofit. That's the other one I'm seeing. And they haven't registered with the IRS. They haven't gone through the process to secure their 501c3. So you don't really have a nonprofit. You have an organization that thinks it's a nonprofit, but it's not recognized in the eyes of the law. This is is such a great segue into uh, the first topic I'd like to discuss, which is legitimizing your business and Mm -hmm. the importance of that. So how important is it for someone to register their business with the state or with the IRS? So step one, if your business is not registered with the state, then you technically don't have a business that is legal. You may have a business idea, but you really shouldn't be collecting money from people. You really shouldn't be out there touting that you have a business when you are not actively registered with the Secretary of State or whatever that entity is in your particular state that recognizes as legal businesses. So that's the first thing. The second thing is if you intend to pay yourself, pay someone else, um, collect any money, then you also then need to get a tax ID, an EIN, an employee ID number from the IRS to make sure that your business can legally go about doing those things. And then it also depends, you could and should even go further depending on the type of business that you offer. So if you have like service offerings, like if you are doing lawn services, maintenance, et cetera, landscaping, HVAC, there are certain business licenses that you need to get from your particular state. If you do nails, hair, et cetera, there are business licenses that you need to get from your state so that you can be taxed properly and have the different recognition from your particular state that makes sure that your business is functioning legally. I know that there's so much confusion when people are really trying to register their business and it can cause a headache for someone who doesn't really understand the different terms, the lingo. And uh, I get so many questions on Facebook and someone will say, how do I even file an LLC application or what are the steps that I need to do? And instead of them doing it for themselves, they'll pay LegalZoom or all of these different Mm -hmm. websites and people don't really understand how easy and simple the process is. But Mm -hmm. I think one of the most confusing parts of really trying to start a business is understanding the business structure. So walk us through how someone should determine the business structure for them. And I'll jump back to that um, initial point of your question. I had someone approach me and they're like, I need you to help me get my LLC. And I'm like, girl, it's five minutes and a hundred dollars. Like it will not, the time and the effort that you're taking to have this conversation with me, you can do it for yourself. I do want to reiterate that, like that this is a process that people can do themselves in their state. LegalZoom charges $70, $80 to do this. And this is something that you can do yourself. But there are several different types of business structures out there that you can figure out where your business falls. So I'll start with like one, two umbrellas and then break it down. So if you are 
in a business and you're thinking that you want to offer mental health or coaching or some type of community development service, then you're in the nonprofit stage. Or if you are going to be collecting payments, receiving money, et cetera, then your business is a for-profit. So I want to break it down in that way, for-profit versus nonprofit. For a for-profit business, there are several different types of structures. If it's just you out there solo dolo, maybe you're cutting grass or you are doing nails or doing eyebrows, you might want to do a sole proprietorship, meaning that you pay income taxes on your profits, but you're taxed a little bit differently than um, some of the other types of business entities. The most familiar business entity to someone who is not a sole proprietorship and they are just a single person is an LLC. It's a limited liability company where it has a structure that allows owners or partners or shareholders to limit, for lack of a better word, their personal liability. So you are protected as an individual behind that tax structure for if you form an LLC. So that's the difference between a sole proprietorship and an LLC. So one person can be a sole proprietor or they can be an LLC, but at the end of the day, the tax liabilities are different and the protection is different from a sole proprietorship versus an LLC. And that's there a very other you can have. One of the things I typically stress with my clients is to think about the liability that can happen. Mm-hmm. If you're offering a service or if you have a product, do you want to separate your personal assets from your business? Because so many people don't realize that you can be sued as a business. You but if can you, and will. <laughs> yes. But if you take in the steps to protect your business and protect your personal assets to where you're an LLC or in another business structure, um, mm-hmm. you cannot have your or your personal assets will not be impacted. So it's important to understand what impacts come from selecting a business structure. And that's at the very beginning of the process. And the thing that most people will say is uh, they'll say, I'm going to just sign it for a sole proprietorship right now because either one, they don't have the money to pay for an LLC or right. two, they feel as though they don't need it. They don't have the faith for their business to be successful. So mm-hmm. They'll say, maybe like in a year or two, when I see how it goes, I'll switch it over to an LLC. What do you say to someone who's thinking in that mindset, who is starting out as a sole proprietor and then thinking, okay, well, we'll just see how it goes. Listen, that is a great question, Angel. And I would say, take that 100, that $50, that $175, $200. If you're in California, take that money and invest in your business upfront and do it the right way from the very beginning. Because what you then don't want to do is um, do very well in that first year of your sole proprietorship and then incur all of these personal liabilities come tax time when you when you have to file taxes or you don't want to skirt and hide from the IRS and not file taxes at all. It is an investment that you should make in your business in the very beginning to just go ahead and do your LLC or your corporation, which is another business status that you can select depending on the services that you're offering. Take that 50, 100, 175, $200 and do the work, the 10 minutes to have your business recognized legitimately in your estate. 
Good points. Thank you so much. And I want to move into government contracting because this mm-hmm. is definitely a topic. It's a hot topic when I'm online, I'm in the Facebook groups, all the different business groups, <laughs> everyone's asking about it. And I think it's becoming a bit more prominent. So how about let's just start at the very beginning for someone who's listening and they're like, what's a government contract? Right, right. I think it has been one of the hottest topics in business this year or in the last year as a result of COVID, right? With COVID, the government put out the PPP loans and then people are like, I can get a free loan for my business. It's not free, by the way. I can get a free loan for my business. And then people started doing more and more research and realizing that there are opportunities to do business with government. Again, I I love to talk in buckets. I love to break things down to the basics. So when you think of the government, right, there is your state government, And then there's the federal government. And then there's also your local government. So like your county, your city, if you live in a big city like Atlanta, like Houston, like Dallas, you can do business with that city as well. You can have a procurement, that is what um, the term is called, with your county, city, state, or with the federal government. To procure It is a legal term, meaning this for that. I'm going to do give you a service. And as a result of that service, I will pay you to do that service. You can also have a contract with your city, county, state, or federal government. There can be contracts to say that this business will be coming up with a contract, just like a legal term with the with their local or city government to do a job for that government. So lawn services, vending, um, maintenance, et cetera. In order to do those things, it's similar to like when you're going to start your business, there's a government website in your city, local, your state, or the federal government where you can go. You have to sign up to be able to see that information. It is free to sign up and you go and sign up, get your business um, registered as a vendor with your city, county, state, et cetera. And from there, you are able to see what what the government is asking for work to be done right now. So for example, if you live, let's say in Georgia, you can go to the procurement bid website for Georgia. And if you do HVAC work, right? Air conditioning, et cetera. You can say, hey, let me see if Any city, county, state governments in Georgia wants their HVAC worked on. You will see the information. You'll see the details. It's a sometimes full, long 60-page documents detailing what they are looking for, what they are asking for the work to do. And if your business is legally structured, like an LLC or a corporation, you have the ability to apply for those, those contracts. Typically, they are open for 30 days. Typically, they also do an informational call in that first week when it opens. And you can hear all of the information about what they're looking for, what the application process will entail. And you can submit in that secure website all of the information that they are looking for. What they will then do is review all of those applications and they'll bring back, it's like a job interview. They'll bring back like the top five ask them questions, interview them, et cetera, and then narrow it down to that one company that they will offer the bid. That's usually how it works on the local 
and state level. The federal is a little bit different and a little bit more complicated. And it sounds like anyone can obtain a government contract for any skill set or any service that they have. Would you agree with that? Yes, I would say if your business is legally structured, so you're not a sole proprietorship, but if you're an LLC, a corporation, not a nonprofit, nonprofits are not eligible for these, these government contracts. They're eligible for other things. But if you are a for-profit business that is legally structured in your state, you can um, obtain a government contract. You can also, so let's say, Angel, you are based there in Dallas in Texas, If your business, if you do workforce development and business development, you can then also register your business in Georgia and say, hey, I want to expand in Georgia so that I can start getting these government contracts. And you can also apply for contracts in other cities and other states if you have the capacity to branch out and do that work. So it's not just for the state that you live in. You can register your business in that other state that you may be a neighboring border, let's say you live at the border of Texas and Louisiana, you can register to do business in Louisiana and apply for government contracts in Louisiana as well. And for someone who is a new entrepreneur, or maybe they have been in business for a long time, and they've never encountered government contracts, when they're first looking at the website, they may be a little intimidated by the terminology. So let's demystify some of the terminology that people will walk across. And I know I heard you mention RFP. What is an RFP for someone who just has no clue? Look, that is like one of my favorite Insta posts, demystifying the government contract um, process. So an RFP is the R is a request. The F is for, like F-O-R, and the P is proposal, excuse me, R-F-P, request for proposal. And what that is, I'm going to make it look super simple. When you go to Indeed or any of the job search websites, Monster, et cetera, like a company will post a job description. And R-F-P is simply just that from the government perspective. They are posting a description about what they want what service they want taken care of for that county, for that city. The RFP breaks down the information, the who, what, when, where, and how of the service that the government wants done. What it then does, it lays out, okay, who we are, Fulton County, when are the due dates, why are they doing this? We have X number of dollars and we want the streets paved for our county, for our city, et cetera. The why they laid out, it could be um, some sort of statute for their state. It could be some sort of, they may have COVID money. And then the how they'll say businesses are invited to apply for this request. And then the where they'll probably have a Zoom meeting to give information and the due date. So The RFP, the request for proposal, lays all of that out. It gives all of the details and tells you every single thing, just like a job description does. When you are, when you go to the procurement website of your city or your state and you find an RFP that you are interested in, you will read all of that information, see the details about responding, and then you respond to that request 
with a bid document and they'll lay out how they want their bid document to be completed. Each state and each city is different, but for the most part, the general thing is they want you to describe your business, tell who you are, when did you start? When did, how many people are in your business? What is the service that you offer? So like an executive summary about who you are. Then they want you to tell them, how will you do this work? Like how, if it's just you, Angel, in your business, and they're asking for all of their HVACs to be maintained, how will you do this? Maybe you'll bring in other um, contractors with you. Then the most important piece, they want you to tell them how much you are going to charge. And this is where it becomes tricky because it's a bid, right? So they're going to take the best application with all of the nice, fancy, cute words and probably the lowest bid. So it's like you're shooting in the dark to see like, how much should I tell the government that I'm going to charge for this and hoping that I'm not underbidding myself and hoping that everyone else comes higher than you. That's essentially what the RFP process looks like. That's a really good definition, very much in depth. Uh, I think another term when someone's getting into that process is understanding what the capability statement is. Mm -hmm. And so RFP and capability statement go hand in hand because you have to have the the capability statement, which I'll I'll give my summary. I always call it your business resume. I'll turn it over to you to define that a bit more. So I would just say one distinction is that most state and local RFPs or contracting opportunities don't necessarily ask for the capability statement. I usually see the capability statement on the federal side. I love a one pager. If you can give me all of the information about your business in one page, you have a bomb capability statement. Just like how I said the RFP is that job uh, description, that capability statement is now your resume. You are describing your business in one page, you have your sections, your mission of your organization, you are describing the services that you offer, what is it that you do on another box on your capability statement, you will describe. And these are all bullet, short, sweet sentences. On another side, you are then telling what you've done in the past, who are, who, what contracts you've had in the past or what services um, or bids you've won in the past. On the bottom, you will have your NAICS codes. So these are the codes that when you register your business, you say that I'm in consulting, I'm in trucking, I'm in dispatching, I'm in HVAC. These are the codes. Again, when you go back to step one about registering your business, your secretary of state is going to ask, what kind of business is this? And what are your codes? These codes will follow you for the lifetime of your business with whatever you're doing. Those codes go on the bottom of your capabilities. And then your contact information. How do they get in touch with you? That capability statement at best, one page, your logo, your contact information, your mission, your values, your services, what you've done, and your codes, and your DUNS number. For someone who is thinking about government contracting and maybe they have heard of it or looked into it and they were a bit apprehensive, what are some of the first steps that they should take? to get started? I guess I'll go to the federal government because we've talked about local and state before. If you're looking to get into the federal government process, it's a little bit more in-depth and in-detail than the state process. For states and local um, governments, you would go to their 
procurement registry. So like Georgia has the Georgia procurement registry and you will find the different bid events there. Or if you want to see all states. So now a lot of locals, they're moving to BidNet. And BidNet, you can see every single state, county bid that is out there. It's BidNet Direct is the website. And most, most counties and cities are just, they'll have their own procurement website, but then they'll redirect you to BidNet. BidNet, you do need to pay, you do need to have a membership in order to apply for certain, certain local governments, but not all. But you can register on BidNet Direct to see any of the local county, state RFPs and bid opportunities. From the federal perspective, the first thing that you need to do now that you've had all of your business LLCs and your EINs and all of that in place, the first thing you do is go to SAM, S-A-M, the System for Award Management, SAM.gov. And SAM is the official website of the U.S. government. There is no cost to use this website. So don't pay anyone to sign you up in SAM. SAM is where you go to register your entity to start doing business with the government. They ask you a lot of questions to determine your eligibility. One of the things I got last week was someone was saying they work for the federal government and they want to get federal contracts. So if you already work for the federal government, in which I had talked about this before, you're not going to be able to get a federal contract. It's a conflict of interest. There are statutes that prevent this from happening. So if you went to Sam and you're one of the parties in your business already works for the federal government, when you try to register your entity on Sam, you're going to get excluded. That's one of the main things I did want to say, but Sam.gov is where you go and you register your entity to start doing business. Once you are there and you register your entity, there will be some exclusions that you have to go through. Once you get the exclusions, there will be a TIN, tax ID number check. What they'll do is to check to make sure that you are who you say you are, so that you are angel, and that the tax ID for that business that you have or your EIN for that business that you have, Angel, that it matches up with your social or with your business entity so that you're not like fraudulently putting in someone else's business entity and registering it on your own. Many businesses fail the TIN verification. You want to make sure that the way that you registered your business in the very beginning with your secretary of state, it matches that TIN verification. Once you have all of your SAM approvals and all of that, then you can go to beta.sam.gov and the world of contracting opens up to you. All of the contracting opportunities are there. All of the agencies that have contracting opportunities. And then it is just like a state process from there on where you identify contracting opportunities that are in your space and you go ahead and start applying. So Shana, thanks so much for that information. I think one of the other things I want to get into is more misconceptions when it comes to the Mm -hmm. government contracting, because people think that you need so much money on hand to obtain a contract. So for someone who may not have 
$50,000, available credit or cash on hand for their business, um, should they still go about looking into a contract? Or I want to tie this into subcontracting as well, because there's so many people who will get discouraged because they'll find out the contract may not pay up front. And how would they fund? (laughs) So can you walk us through the financial part or or what someone should be looking at financially? Yes, of course. I would not discourage anyone from applying for, you know, a government contract if they don't have a lot of capital or if they don't have any capital. There are, because there is so much out there right now, many opportunities, there are agencies that are doing businesses with doing business with newly formed businesses that don't have any established credit and don't have any money set aside. So I would say that should not be, you should not be discouraged. Now I will say it could be a little bit harder. It's when you, when you apply for a job and they're like, Oh, you don't have the experience that I need. So I can't apply. You're like, dang, I'm applying for the job so I can get the experience. The government contracting process is like that, where they're like, Whoa, you don't have any experience. Um, with government contracts. So we can't give you this contract. I would say if you're trying to go big with the federal government, try to start smaller on your county, city, and state level first to get those opportunities before you venture into the federal contracts. Then as far as your second part of the question about subcontracting, so no, the government is not going to pay upfront, right? A contract is is what it says. So when you are doing your budget, when you are writing these contracts, you are laying out, and again, it depends on the work, but you are laying out what you are charging, what you're charging for. And as you're doing the work, you're invoicing. So you're not going to be paid upfront, especially if it's like a service or you have to do some work. If you are replacing something, fixing something, delivering something to the government, you are going to get paid once you issue that invoice to the government. Once you submit that invoice, I'm gonna be honest, guys, the government is slow to pay. So from a state perspective, you could get paid and they'll let you know when you have that agreement with them, once you've signed that contract, it will say invoicing and payment could take up to 30 days. So some state governments are up to 30 days. The federal government could be 30, 60, 90 days, depending on who you are working with. So you want to make sure that this is not your only bread and butter. and You have other things in the pipeline to get income coming in because you are not going to be paid up front. You will be paid on invoicing. Invoicing could be 30, 60 or 90 days, depending on the entity that you are working with. Awesome. So Shauna, is this where your service really comes in where someone's maybe confused or apprehensive on obtaining the contract? Let's take a hypothetical situation. Let's say I'm looking into government contracting and I'm like, well, I don't really know what to do, or maybe I've started and I I just haven't been successful. Uh, At what point does your business help that business owner? So I come in 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 every step of the way. I will walk you through the SAM process. So that is no charge. I will help you with the SAM process because that website is a doozy. Sometimes it can be a little bit complicated. Once you are all set up in SAM and I get emails, a bajillion emails every day with different opportunities. So if you and I are partnered together and I know that your space, let's say is in workforce development 
and I'm getting workforce development contracts, I'm going to, hey, Angel, here's a workforce development RFP from XYZ. I think it would be a good fit for your company. What do you think? Send it along. We'll set up a, a call to talk about that RFP. And then we, where my now work comes in is I help write the RFP for you or with you. There are different services that I offer with that in that if you say, I just want to be out of it, I want you to submit this bid for me, I will, there's a service for me to just do the bid for you on my own without any of your involvement in that process. Or if you want to be engaged with the process, because I do also want to empower business owners to do this for themselves. So we will, there's another option to be engaged in the bid response activity side by side where we are walking you through, and I have other um, individuals in my organization where we are walking you through the response to the bid and we are doing it together step-by-step, step, whether it's in-person, over Zoom, virtually, whatever the case may be. That's really where we come in is in the responses to the RFP, making sure you have all the documents that you need, making sure that you have a quality, a well-crafted response, making sure that you have a really nice template for your response. We create a template that is specific to your business, to the response to the, the federal government agency. Thank you so much. So Shauna, we are nearing the end of the podcast and I feel like we can have this conversation for hours on end on government contracting right. and business. And I think you've dropped some major gems. The people who are listening definitely hope that they're taking notes. <laughs> yeah, because we don't, I don't even think we talked about private foundation grants and that's like a whole other community and whole other grant writing process. There are so many ways that you can get capital for your company or for your nonprofit. And I love a grant. I love a grant writing process. That's what I did for the government for many years, 15 plus years, brought in millions, hundreds of millions of dollars for state government. And I worked for the federal government. I would love to be able to assist a small business in accessing that capital. Awesome. And so as I'm a financial educator, I'm all about money conversations. And a part of my brand, I use the phrase balling on a budget. I would like to ask you in your own words, if you can give us some insight as to what does balling on a budget mean to you? Ooh, that's a good question. Balling on a budget means that I am fiscally responsible. I am not living above my means. I am investing. I know what investment tools are out there. I am teaching my family and my children generational wealth and how they can invest what they should be investing in. And I, I still also live well, but I'm not overindulgent at the same time. Love it. <laughs> I love it. I love it. And for someone who's listening and they're ready to connect with you, where can they find you at online? You can find me on all platforms under consult with Shauna. So that is Instagram consult with Shauna, Facebook consult with Shauna, Twitter consult with Shauna. You probably see me tweeting legal policy stuff though, not get start your business, but you can still get me there. And then my website is also consultwithshauna.com. 
So Shauna, thanks so much for again, being a guest on the podcast. I've so enjoyed this conversation. Do you have any last words for the listeners today? Yes, Angel. First of all, Angel, thank you so much for having me. I really enjoyed having the conversation with you. I get excited talking about getting people to the next phase of their lives. And that's really what I wanted to to end with. There are opportunities out there. We don't always have to be stuck in a rut, whether it's a personal rut, a professional rut, or a business. And consult with Shauna if you want to get to the next phase and stop spinning your wheels and really identify those opportunities that are best for your life and your business. Thanks for listening. Stay connected with Angel online on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook at Miss RMBA. That's M-I-S-S-R-M-B-A. Be sure to subscribe and review. Join us next time as we continue to empower you through milestones, motivation, and money. 